Good morning. Welcome again to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. Whether you're in the room here or online, we're glad you're worshiping with us today. We're continuing our series called Ashes. I believe, and as a church, we believe that God has always been about bringing his people back to him, back from the ashes of sin and guilt and shame, back to the glory of his kingdom and the life that he had for us, life to the full, loving people and loving him and serving the world and seeing people come to his kingdom. That's what God wants to bring us back to. This morning, we're going to talk about the grace that God has to offer to us and exactly what that grace means. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to jump right into the text. We have a lot of unpacking to do in the Word today. So Luke chapter 15, and if you don't have a Bible in the room here, I'd love to give one just like this to you when we're done. If you're online, just send a message right now. Sign you a Bible, and we'll get one to you because we believe in the power of God's Word, and we want to be accessible to everybody everywhere so we can follow Jesus and know His words for us. In Luke chapter 15, we're going to jump into a moment in Jesus' life where he is drawing nearer to the cross. He's been going around performing miracles, teaching and preaching, and all kinds of things to date. And now he's getting nearer to the cross. His death he's going to experience in your place and in my place. The burial and the resurrection. And he has a group of people following him around known as the Pharisees. Sadducees, the teachers of the law, and these men, since the very beginning, the very first step of his ministry journey, they have hated him, and they've wanted him to fail, and they, in fact, they have wanted him to fail more than anything else. They are willing to sabotage anything to see Jesus fail. They want to put him to death. They hate him with everything they have. And we're going to see in Luke 15 that Jesus is surrounded by a group of people, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law just hate it luke 15 verse 1 says this now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear jesus now tax collectors were jewish people they were people who were seen as traitors betrayers of their nation betrayers of their people because they worked for the roman occupying empire and they lined to their own pockets. They stole from their own neighbors and brothers and friends and people. They were hated. But Jesus always, consistently, from the first day of his ministry to the day he went and walked to the cross to the day he walked out of the tomb and the day he ascended to heaven, he consistently said he was here for those who were sick and those who were hurt and those who were lost. And he surrounded himself with people just like this, tax collectors, people who were not loved and not liked but jesus embraced the unlovable in fact he even went so far as to invite one tax collector named matthew to join his team of disciples to come on to his inner circle of people to follow him around that's how far he took it in loving unlovable people says he was surrounded by tax collectors and sinners people that had sinned in all kinds of ways, public and private. They were known for their sin. They had reputations of sin. And Jesus loved them anyway because he always came again to love and embrace the unlovable, the outsider, the exile. That's what he did. So he's surrounded by these tax collectors, these sinners. 
And they gather around to hear him because by this point in Jesus' life, they want to hear what Jesus has to say. So they gather around him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're over here in the shadows kind of, they're always, if you read through the Gospels, they're always just kind of lurking in the background, waiting to see what Jesus does to catch him and to trick him and to trap him. And they mutter to themselves, this man, that's Jesus, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Because they, as religious rulers, men of stature, would never, never stoop that low to actually eat with a sinner. But Jesus surrounded himself with those people because those people are Jesus' people, and he came to rescue them and to speak to them. In response to what the Pharisees are saying and thinking here, Jesus proceeds to tell three stories. Three stories. Maybe you've heard these three stories before. He tells the story first of a lost sheep, of a man who owns a hundred sheep. He has a hundred sheep that are spread out on the hillside, but 99 are right here. As he counts them, he gets to 99 and realizes one is lost. And so he leaves the 99 and he pursues the one because to the the owner of the sheep, to, to God, who the story is really about, the one matters. The one matters. And then he tells a second story about a woman who has ten coins in her home. She has ten coins, and she sits to count her ten coins to see what she has, and she counts them off, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and she's missing a coin. And so she proceeds to tear her house apart, to search, to sweep, to clean, to to dig, to look for the coin, because to the woman, to God, whose story is really about, the one matters. The one matters. And then Jesus tells a third story about a lost son. Maybe you've heard it before, and maybe you've heard it called the story of the prodigal son. He tells a story about a lost son, and this story has three characters in it. A father, a younger son, and an older son. And Jesus is going to talk about how the Father has grace for all of them. Both sons. Let's look at that together. It's in verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11 is where we're going to kind of jump in, and we're going to read this whole story together. There's a lot here, and we're going to unpack it over the next 25 minutes or so, and I believe God's going to show you a glimpse of the grace that he has for you out of this story here. In verse 11, Jesus continues talking. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Do you know how incredibly inappropriate this was, right? For the younger son, the one culturally, the one who would not get the larger inheritance, the one who would inherit something but not much, The older son, that was reserved for him. And the younger son comes to the father and says, Okay, Dad, give me what I'm going to have. Incredibly inappropriate to assume that he has a large inheritance coming to him. Second, to go to his father and to say, Father, the, the thing, the amount, the stuff that I'm going to get when you die, I want it now. He says to his father, Let's just fast forward and pretend that you're dead. And give me what's mine. I can't wait. I don't want to wait. I want it now. I have plans, things to do, 
places to go. He's full of pride. He's full of arrogance. He's full of self-centeredness and selfishness. He's full of all those things, and he wants to do things his way with his stuff on his own. Father, give me my share of the estate. And then in a crazy turn of events, he says the father actually does it since the father divided his property between the two sons and he gave the younger son his share of the inheritance, he, he actually does it. As I'm reading this, I, I think through a cultural lens, as I'm reading the, this younger Jewish boy, Palestinian young man, comes to his father and says, give me my share of the estate, let's pretend you're dead, I want to take it, I want to do my own thing, in my own way, in my own place, by my own rules. And my assumption would be that the next sentence would say, so the father smacked him and said, go to your room. No, we're not doing that. But he doesn't do it. Because the father, the father never conforms to the culture that prevails around him. He never conforms to the culture. The father instead creates his own culture. So he divided the property between the two sons. Well, the younger son, if we continue the story here, the younger son, it says not long after that, he got together all that he had. And just so you know, all that he had was all that he had just taken from his father. He got together the inheritance that he had just kind of stole. He got it together. And he set off for a distant country where'd he go i'm glad that jesus doesn't tell us where that is i'm glad that luke the writer doesn't tell us where that is i'm glad that it doesn't say so the younger son got together all that he had he 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 scraped together his inheritance he packed up his belongings he loaded up his stuff and then he set off for wherever assyria or egypt or another place that was on the map around them. I'm glad that Jesus didn't say that. Because if Jesus had said that, then we can look at it and say, okay, well, as long as I don't go to that place, I'm good. As long as I don't go where the sun went, I'm, I'm good. But Jesus didn't say that. He said he went to the distant country. He went to the country where the Father wasn't. Jesus was consistent throughout Scripture. He said, when you're with me, when you're with the Father, there's life forever. But when you're distant from the Father, there's death. The younger son got together all he had. And he set off for the distant country where there was death waiting. And once he got there, predictably, he squandered all of his wealth in wild living. He squandered it. He wasted it. He threw it away. He burned it. I don't know how long he was there. Days, weeks, months, years. Later we hear the older son say several years, so he's been gone for quite a while now. He goes off and he squanders it. And when you got stuff, when you got money, everybody wants a piece of you, right? 
and people are all around him because he's got means and he has resources and people come on they want to hang out with this younger son and over there in this distant country where death was waiting he squandered his wealth in wild living after he'd spent everything everything every last penny every last cent he spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country and the son begins to be in need because once you go through all your resources, once you lose all your money, then the people who weren't really your friends, the people that didn't really care about you, they just wanted a piece of your stuff, where are they? They disappear, they go away, and the son begins to be in need. And now he finds himself in the distant country where death awaits, all alone and all by himself with no hope and nowhere to turn and no father to lean on because he's on his own. And so he makes a plan, and he decides, I'm going to get a job to support myself. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that distant country. And he was sent to the fields to feed pigs. Now, context again, for a, for a Jewish person, pigs are unclean. He would not have eaten pork. He would not have touched pigs. He certainly would not have lived in the fields with pigs and fed them. They were unclean. But this is where the younger son finds himself. In a distant country where death awaits. All alone. With no hope. Living unclean. He's so desperate. Verse 16 tells us that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. I've never been quite that desperate. He longed to eat the pig food because he had nothing else. But no one would even give it to him. They wouldn't even waste the pig food on him because he's all alone in the distant country. And then one day, I don't know which day, says the young man, the younger son, he came to his senses he woke up and he looked around he saw the pigs and he saw the slop and he saw the pig food and he saw his own desperation and maybe he even looked in the mirror and he saw himself and he saw the state that he was in, how he was alone and he was hopeless and he was helpless and he came to his senses. He realized what was going on and he says to himself as he remembers back to his home where his father lives, how many of my father's hired servants have food and not just food, but food to spare. They have extra food sitting around. How many have all of that? And here I am starving to death. I am now jealous of pigs. He remembers back. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll set out. And I'll go back to my father. And I'll say to him. And he begins to build a speech. Have you ever done that? Have you ever maybe found yourself? Because the truth of the matter is, if I can step out of the story and step into your life for a second, the fact of the matter is that you and I have at times found ourselves running from God saying, give me what is mine, I'm going to do things in my way, my time, on my own, and we run off and we find ourselves in the distant country, and then we find ourselves a little broken, a little desperate. How many times have we made a deal with God? I'm going to make a speech to God. I will never do that again. If you will please just make my life a little better, I will never do that again. We make a speech to God. If, I, if you will just help me, 
rescue me, heal me, then I promise I'll be better. That's what the son does. He makes this speech. This is the speech. He rehearses it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So then he got up and he went to his father. He rehearsed the speech over and over. And I imagine as he walks along the road, his hands in his pockets, his head down, shuffling his feet, sending his heaven against you. Because he knows the last time he saw his father, he was proud and arrogant. And he was storming out, bullheaded to face the world. And now he's coming back, humbled, with a change of heart. Just let me be one of your servants. Let me be a worker in your field. I'll start off the bottom of the food chain of the family. I'll start off at the bottom of the ladder and climb my way back up. Just let me come back and be here with you. So he got up and he went to his father. But his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And his father got up and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. See, the the father, the whole time the son's been off in the distant country, the father has been over here sitting on his porch and just waiting and looking and longing because the father's heart for his son has never changed. He never changed the way he thought about his son. It doesn't matter how long he'd been in the distant country. It doesn't matter what wild living he had done. It doesn't matter how he'd squandered his money. It doesn't matter that he'd been living unclean with pigs. The father's heart had never changed for his son. He loved him every bit as much as he ever had. And when the father sees him coming from a long way off, the father gets up and he throws his stuff behind him and he runs down the lane and he gets to his son and he embraces him. And he kisses him. And the son doesn't know what to expect. Is is the father running to me so he can hit me? Is the father running to me to look at me and say, I knew you'd come back. I knew you would come back. I knew you would fail. The world's a cold place, son. Is the father coming to say, I told you so? He doesn't know. And the faster the father runs, I imagine the slower the son walks. But the father closes the gap and he embraces his son. Kisses his son. And the the son has a a plan, right? He has a a plan of what he's going to do. So the son begins the speech. Father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He begins his speech. I'm no longer worthy. But the father cuts him off right there. Because the Father doesn't need him. The Father doesn't need him to make a big speech. The Father doesn't need him to start off at the bottom anymore. The Father doesn't need him to come back into the family in a low position. Because in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, the the default isn't bitterness. It's grace. Grace is the default. 
And so the father lets him start talking, I've sinned, I failed, I'm not worthy. And the father cuts him off with grace and love and hope. And the father just turns to his servants. He puts a finger up to his son. Turns to his servants and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. Let's have a party. Bring a robe and bring a ring and bring a sandal. All the things that designate that this young man is my son. Let him look the part again because my heart has never changed toward him. Let him look the part again. He is a son. Let him look like a son. Bring these things. Bring the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. You see, when the father forgives, when God forgives, he immediately restores us. Immediately. We don't have to make a speech or a deal with God. We don't have to come back in on the bottom and work our way back up. We don't have to re-enter the church. Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've left the church for a while. Or maybe you have a friend that's been gone for a while and they come back. We don't come back into the church as second-class citizens. God adopted you as a son and a daughter. As you, if you surrendered yourself to God and he adopted you as a son or as a daughter, then no matter how long you're in the distant country, no matter what you do, no matter the pain of the consequences that linger in your life because of the distant country, when you return to the Father and He forgives you, He immediately restores you. You are a full-fledged son, a full-fledged daughter again. Because He brings you back. Put a ring on Him. Put a robe on Him. Put sandals on the feet. Bring the fattened calf. Let's have a family dinner. Because this child of mine is back. When God forgives, he immediately restores. You don't have to work your way back up. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven. the father doesn't conform to culture he creates it and in his kingdom the culture default is grace it's who he is but remember there's two sons right there's two sons the younger one's been off in the distant country for an untold amount of time and he's come back home shuffling his feet with his head down now ready to start over at the bottom and the father's gotten up and run to him and hugged and embraced him and said no 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 you are a full-fledged son you're immediately restored to the position in the family but there's another son and in fact as i read this story and i i read myself into the story i identify i find myself identifying more with the older son than with the younger son all too often this is what happens in the next verse meanwhile jesus says the older son he was out in the field, and it's all about perspective, right? When I read it, I remember there's a younger son and an older son. That's my perspective. But if I was the older son, his perspective is there's the bad kid and there's the good kid. You know how it is in your family, right? In your family, you know there's, there's kids that kind of stick around mom and dad. They help out with the family, they do things. Then there's the black sheep of the family. There's the good kid, and there's the bad kid. That's how we tend to view things. The older son, he's the good son. That's the bad son. 
And the older son's out in the field doing what he's expected to be doing, taking care of the chores and doing the family business. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of his servants, because this is not normal, and he asked him what was going on. The servant says, oh yeah, good news, your brother has come, and your father has killed his fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. That's good news, right? I mean, up here, when the father sent the servants to get the fattened calf and to bring the robe and the ring and the sandals and all those things, we celebrated he was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Amen. We celebrate that's good news to me. It's not to the older son. It's not good news for him. In fact, in fact, he doesn't like it at all. It says the older brother, the older son now, he became angry at the news. He was ticked off. And he refused to go in. We could rewrite that sentence and say the older brother became angry and went outside under a tree to pout for a while. Because he just didn't want to even look at anybody in the family. He's angry, refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him because the father has grace for both sons. He went out to plead with him, to talk with him. But the son answers his father. He says, look, and I, I, I think there's a different tone than with the younger son. The younger son comes up in here and Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. The older brother says, look. Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you. Reveals kind of how he feels about the father a little bit right there. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed a single order you've given. I've done whatever you said. The older son between the lines I could read and, and think he's saying, you know, I've been here this entire time. You've treated me like someone just here to take care of your stuff. I hate it every minute of it. That guy runs off. Here I am. I'm the good son. I've been here all along. I don't enjoy it. I resent it, in fact, but I'm here, aren't I? But you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate my friends. You never let me have friends over. You never gave me a day off. The older brother, he's physically been home. But truth be told, his heart has been the distant country, hardened against the father. He's been there. He hasn't liked it. He goes on and says, but this son of yours, he can't even call him by name, he can't even say my brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. That's not fair. That's what he's whining. It's not fair. And I, I wonder, when I read this, I wonder in a room this size with this many people in here, with you at home and joining us and watching and worshiping, I have to wonder if there's somebody 
or a bunch of somebodies that doesn't find yourself more like the older son right now. Maybe you've been a part of this church, a part of the church for a long time, and you've watched people come and return, come and go and return and leave and come back. It makes you angry. Maybe you've been sitting around and, and saying, well, well, I've been here, haven't I? I've served. I've gotten up early. I've showed up. I've stayed late. I've given. I've spent my own money on stuff. I helped build this place. I've done these things. I've taught the things. I've volunteered. I have slaved. I have worked. I've done all this. No one's ever even thanked me for stuff. And then this guy shows back up. He's been gone for years. And everybody welcomes him back in like God still loves him as much as God loves me. bad place to find yourself but the father has grace for both sons in the prodigal son and the lost son story it occurs to me that the father never speaks to the younger son the younger son wants inheritance the father gives it to him he goes away the younger son comes back with a speech prepared the, old, the father says shh and he talks to the servants, tells them to get the robe and the ring and the sandals and the fattened calf. But then when the older son, the one who's been there, the one who's been faithful to the father, the one who's been festering with a little bit of hardening of his heart, the one who's been having a difficult time, the one who's been secretly, privately, spiritually slipping toward the distant country, when he reveals his hurt and his anger and he owns it and he, he says, this is how I feel right now. And he confesses before the father. The father goes out to him with grace and says, My son, my son, can I remind you? Can I remind you of what my kingdom is like? You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything. My name. My house. My resources. My eternity. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours, this brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost and he's found and he reminds the older son of the mission of the family. This is who we are. The father has grace for both brothers, but both brothers needed to hear something different. The one that had run away in pride and arrogance and selfishness and done his own thing for a long time, he needed to be embraced. He needed to hear, you're, you're my, my child, and I love you as much as I love you the day you were born. You have the older son that's been hanging out at home. And the father goes to him, and he knows he needs grace too. He needs grace so he says, my son, let me remind you of my heart. I love your brother like I loved him the day he was born, just like I love you. This is how my family works. This is what we do. And he offers grace to both of his kids because God's grace is for everybody. 
No matter how you found yourself or you find yourself today in the distant country, God's grace is for you. Satan wants to keep you. He wants to keep you in the distant country. But the grace of God will bring you back home. Like Jesus said, when he came from heaven to earth, he came to be the way back from the distant country. And he looked his followers in the eye and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's always a way back from the distant country. And that way comes through Jesus for those that have been physically off on their own, doing their own thing, when they hit rock bottom, when you hit rock bottom and say, I need to come back to the Father, and we come home making deals with God. God, if you will, I will. If you will, I will. The Father grabs you and says, no, 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 no. Listen to my son. And Jesus says, I'm the way. If you surrender to me, then everything I have is yours. And you're immediately restored as a son, as a daughter prince, a princess, an emissary, an ambassador of my family, my kingdom. If you find yourself today saying, I just wish other people in the church were as dedicated as I am. And Satan's been trying to trick you into thinking that bitterness in your heart is really righteousness. Then today you need to hear God say, no, 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 my grace is for you. And let me remind you of how you were first adopted in my family. Because that's how I want to adopt everybody else too. This morning, what I want to do is invite you to the grace of God. Wherever you find yourself, if you are physically distant from God, or if you are just spiritually or emotionally or mentally slipping away from God, I want to invite you back home, back to the grace of God. So He can restore you and love you the way he loved you the day he created you. I'm going to pray for us, and after I pray, we're going to sing one song to respond to Jesus together. And then we're going to be sent out of here so we can go extend the grace of God to those that are around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you have loved us the way only you can love. I thank you that when I have run from you, when I have run and we have run to the distant country, you never changed the way you think about us. You didn't look at culture and say, well, they're on their own now. But you never conformed. You create your own culture and your kingdom. And that culture of your kingdom is grace. It defaults to grace. And you say, welcome home. And you embrace those who are outsiders. You love those who are unlovable. And you restore us. And Father, I'm thankful that grace is not just for people who are physically distant, but those that are maybe in this room or online right now, we are maybe mentally and spiritually and emotionally just distant, saying, I'm just here because I feel like I have to be here. Father, I pray you would speak to us right now and say, no, 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 my grace is for you. I loved you the day, as much as I loved you the day I created you. And let me remind you of how excited you were the day I adopted you in. And you became my son and my daughter. That's how much I love your neighbor. So Father, I pray we would take your grace. We would just revel in it. 
and then we would turn around and extend it to everybody around us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand wherever you are and let's sing one more song together to respond to the grace of Jesus.